Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by Forrester VP and Group Director Laura Ketzel to discuss the state of Brexit. For the listeners, we're recording this podcast on October 28th to be aired on October 31st. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Laura, perhaps you can just discuss what is the state of Brexit? There have been a lot of to's and fro's, a couple extensions now. So where are we? This has been a long and winding road. And where we are now is that the European Union has accepted the UK government's request for an extension to the Brexit timetable, which, of course, Brexit was meant to happen on Happy Brexit Halloween, October 31st of 2019, after an extension prior, uh, through to the 30th of January of 2020. So does this mean that a no deal is still possible? Yes, it does. So sadly, uh, the, it means there's not going to be no deal now, right? but we could indeed arrive at January 30th of 2020, and there could still, in theory, be no deal. So that's probably less likely now, or well, then, really, uh, because there is a deal on the table, which the government is, the gov- well, the government in the UK would like to push through, but the current government doesn't have a majority in Parliament. So obviously they haven't been able to push that deal through just yet. And so they're hoping that over the course of the next three months, they can indeed get that through. And then it, I should mention that this is what's called a flex extension. Uh, thank you to the uh, Brexit process for giving us a new word. And all that means is that if the UK manages to approve the deal to get it through Parliament and to agree essentially on the terms of the withdrawal, then they can exit sooner than the 30th of January of 2020, because they'll be doing it in an orderly fashion according to the withdrawal agreement bill terms. And then there'll be a transition period for getting all of the future state stuff sorted out and so on. I know that there's a formal transition period, but what about this period now until January 31st? What are firms and executives to do? Should they be doing anything different, changing plans? What's going on there? No deal is still possible. So for everybody who's got all their preparations in place for a new deal, don't let them go to rust. Keep them up to date. Make sure that you've got a handle on all of your EU citizen employees based in the UK, all of your UK citizen employees based in the rest of the EU, and your data transfers of EU resident personal data that we'll probably talk about a little later in more detail, and all of the things that you have done to prepare for a New Deal Brexit, keep all those preparations up to date. I hope that you won't need them uh, personally, and it seems less likely that you will need them, but we certainly can't rule it out. So everybody's got to keep all those preparations up to date and obviously pay attention to what's going on and see sort of where we're getting to uh, as we get towards January of 2020. So all of the same things that I said back in April and indeed that we've said for quite a while still apply. And I think the major fear among EU governments, certainly, is that everyone will just sort of tune out and say, oh, my God, I'm so tired of thinking about this. Uh, I'm just going to ignore this whole Brexit thing for another three months because nothing is happening, really, and so I don't have to do anything. And that would be a mistake. If you want to make sure that you have all of your plans ready to go, 
in the event that there is a disorderly kind of no deal exit on the 30th of January 2020. Seems crazy to me that this is the state of affairs right now. Yeah, it's I mean, it's certainly not what anyone would have expected. I think if you'd asked, you know, two years ago, would we be here now? Um, But it's a it's a very it's a momentous decision, right? Mm -hmm. According to all anyone who I've ever heard talk about this, this is possibly the most important decision the the UK at least is making in the last 15, 20 years. So it makes sense that it's quite an important decision and everybody wants to take their time over it. But I don't think anyone expected it to take quite this long and to require quite this many extensions. We are where we are. And so we have to respond to the situation as it is. And so that requires kind of exhausted as we all are from this continued vigilance and making sure that we're ready if no deal happens so that it doesn't bite us later. And it's worth saying that there are some differences between the previous uh, withdrawal agreement and this one. It's, you know, by most estimates, it's 90 odd percent the same, but the way Northern Ireland is treated is different and the kinds of customs checks that are happening and where they're happening uh, is different. And so if you ship physical goods, between the EU and Northern Ireland and between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, there are things that you absolutely have to be prepared for if that withdrawal agreement itself gets goes through. And you made reference to data protection, data transfer, and GDPR still having implications here. So what, what do firms need to be doing on a continuous basis to make sure that they're ready at the end of January? So this, I'm going to try and explain this as clearly as I can uh, with apologies to all our listeners because this is kind of complicated. And so I'm not trying to make it complicated on purpose. It just happens to be somewhat complicated. And it sounds kind of abstruse and silly because, as some of you may know, the U.K. passed the GDPR into domestic law uh, years ago, right? So the laws in the U.K. are functionally the same as the ones in the rest of the EU. However... Once the UK leaves the EU, whenever that is, what will happen is the EU has said they're not going to make what they would call a data, a GDPR adequacy decision until after the UK leaves the EU. And so what that bureaucratic word adequacy means is the EU has to make an official determination that the UK's data protection standards are equal to the demands of the GDPR. And you may think, well, the laws are the same. Why wouldn't they say they're adequate? And, of course, because it becomes a bit of a political decision, right? Because the U.K. is no longer in the EU, and depending on the terms of the divorce, as they say, the EU may wish to make the adequacy of the decision somewhat difficult and drag it out. So if you are a CIO or, indeed, anyone who transfers data about EU residents, so personal data, as defined under the GDPR, from any of the EU 27 countries, to the UK, you want to be prepared for the fact that if there's a no deal on 31st of January of 2020, then you will no longer be able to do that the way you do it now. So you want to have in place the kinds of technical measures that you need to actually compensate for this. So things like model contract clauses and binding corporate rules. So you're effectively treating the UK as a third country. And so... That's the smart thing to do because you cannot assume that there will be a transition period because the UK might still leave the European Union without a deal at the end of January of 2020. 
And if there is a transition period, you will still need to have a mechanism for transferring that data across borders when the transition period is completed. So, Laura, based on what you just said, how is that impacting the UK, assuming, obviously, that other EU countries are doing business with firms in the UK and their ecosystems extend to the UK. So if they're pulling back, say, data, are they pulling back other investments? The short answer is yes. The, actually, the uncertainty over Brexit is affecting the whole Eurozone. Because, of course, investment in the UK is slowing because businesses are uncertain about what exactly is going to happen with Brexit and what that will mean for the UK's future trading relationship with the EU. And so they're hedging their bets. But the rest of the the Eurozone is also slowing because it trades a lot with the UK. And so in Germany, for example, the GDP forecast has been revised down. Uh, So, And there's a lot of talk of, is the Eurozone going into recession? We're not really sure. So the economic outlook for the whole region is clouded not just by Brexit, granted, but Brexit is certainly one of the bigger clouds. Yeah, and I think, I mean, speaking of clouds, this has got to be doing a number on employees and the employee experience of firms based in the UK or, um, you know, residents of the UK living in other European Union countries. So what's any changes there or things that we should be considering in this transition period and beyond? Yes. So let me just take a bookmark in that we need to talk about transition period because there are some potential wackinesses there too, which Mm. bear repeating. But so the good news for firms that employ people who are from any of the EU or European economic areas, so that includes places like Norway and Liechtenstein and stuff, uh, in the UK is that everybody who's there now can apply for the kind of temporary residents or permanent residents, depending on how long they've been there. And there's a kind of procedure for that. So all companies should be sort of checking with their employees and, you know, making sure they know everything they need to know and that they've got all the help they need because everybody has to apply for these things personally. So the good news on that front is that everybody who's already in the UK can, who's from the EU can apply for it can apply for a kind of status that should give them some peace of mind. Now there have been some hiccups with granting people the appropriate status, and so you'll see kind of angry stories in the news media about people who lived in the UK for 15 years who are all of a sudden told, "Well, you get temporary status or whatever," which they find uh, insulting. So there's clearly some process kinks to iron out, but at least there the settlement scheme, as they call it, is open and operating. The bottom line on that is. Everybody has until the end of December of 2020 to apply for that kind of status, as long as they're in the UK before exit, whenever that is. And similarly, all the other EU member states have made made clear that UK citizens who are living and working there have, you know, X amount of time, and it varies by country, to apply for residence permits and all of this. So so there's there's comfort there. But... The situation will change, right? Once the, during the transition period, everything will, if there is a transition period, right? Because if there's no deal, then there's no transition period and that's still possible. But if there's a transition period, which at the moment would last until the end of 2020, unless extended, and it can be extended once by up to two years, and we'll talk about that later. But the, 
during that period, things will sort of be business as usual, right? You citizens can go and move to the UK and, you know, do whatever they need to do. And then they apply for the settled status scheme the same way the people who would who are there now do now. But it will be different, right? Because at the moment, if you move from the rest of the EU to the UK, it's like moving from Lyon to Paris or the other way around. It, you don't need to do anything. You can just show up and go to work tomorrow in your new in the UK instead of in the country where you were before. So it will be different after the UK leaves the European Union once the transition period is over. So it's something to think about, certainly, for recruiting talent for the future, as well as for making sure you retain the talent that you've already got. And what about this reference? I love you just dropped it. Like, oh, there could be an extension up to two years for this transition <laughs> period. Right. So what does that so, mean? <laughs> you see why this gets like, it feels like Groundhog Day over and over and over. Right. So about the transition period. So in the current withdrawal agreement, the transition period lasts until the 31st of December of 2020. So if we assume that the UK exits the EU under the current withdrawal agreement sometime between now and the, 31st, and, and the uh, 31st of January of, of 2020, uh, or, the, or the 30th of January of 2020, pardon me, uh, then what will happen is they'll go into a transition period. And so during that period, the UK will have left the EU, but on the ground, everything will feel kind of the same as before. And that period gives the UK and the EU a chance to negotiate their future relationship on everything from customs and travel and uh, citizens' rights and all that other stuff, like literally everything. And but that may not be long enough because those are it's, those are fairly complex negotiations. So built in is a ability to extend that transition period for up to two years. So the thing I was getting at earlier is that there's some wackiness with the transition period too. Not just that it could be extended for a further two years, right? So this whole kind of Figuring out the long-term trading relationship thing could go on for a very long time. But also that the decision on extending the transition period has to be agreed by the 1st of July of 2020, which is only, you know, just shy of seven months right. or six months after the potential exit date. And so you could be in a situation where they're getting close to the end of December of 2020, the end of the transition period. Everything still isn't agreed. But they didn't agree to extend the transition, and so there's a second potential weird cliff's edge at the end of the transition period. Now, in a sane world, that should not happen. But the last three and a half years have not been the sanest of worlds. And like you said before, we didn't appreciate that we'd be here, you know, three-plus years after the referendum, certainly. So... There's, there's still some uncertainty even once you get into the transition period, which is awful to say, but everything I have read and every person I have talked to seems to come to the same conclusion, which, they, which is that those extensions can't be taken for granted. Right. So don't plan for an extra two years, basically, is the no, net net of it. Not for, we do not know if there, will be, there may be an extra two years. There may not. And in theory, we should have – so there might be – a sort of midnight, you know, on the 30th June, uh, you know, we have to agree to extend because we don't think we're going to be done by December. So there, in addition to a scramble before the 31st of December to do an additional extension to the Brexit process, there could be a scramble to extend the transition period in the middle of 2020. So there's a lot that's still unknown. And 
I foresee more exhaustion in our all of our futures as we think about this, because I just cannot see how it's all going to be smooth sailing, even after the end of January of 2020. So I feel like the harbinger of terrible news here. Uh, but I think we all have to sort of be sanguine about the fact this has not gone smoothly to date. So we should not expect it to get smoothly after this. Right. What else could potentially happen between now and the 31st of January? So the thing that may well happen is a UK general election. And depending on the outcome of that election, on which I will not speculate, uh, simply because nobody knows, is, and also because not my forte at all, there could be a second referendum in which the question could be put to the entire UK voting public, what, you know, what should happen next? Should we take the deal or should we revoke Article 50 and decide to stay in the European Union and actually, you know, pretend the last three and a half years never happened? That is also possible. I don't know what probability I'd assign to it at this point, but a second referendum in which there could, in which the electorate could say, yeah, we'll take the deal. And so then the UK would accept the withdrawal agreement and then we'd go on as we've discussed for the rest of this podcast, or they could choose, no, we don't like this. Um, let's go back and we'll just go be regular old European Union members again. And it'll be the last three and a half years of yelling and arguing never happened. So with all the twos and fro's here of Brexit, what is the one thing that you're advising clients on or that you want the audience to to take away as a next step in in their process in the context of Brexit? Do not let your no deal preparations gather dust. Make sure that you're ready so that if a no deal happens at the end of January of 2020, you will be prepared because it could still happen. The, it's less likely, but the chances are not zero. And so I would be remiss if I didn't remind everybody, please, please, please do not assume that, okay, we're on the glide path to a deal. It's all going to be fine because we aren't necessarily. Thanks for shedding some light on this, Laura. Appreciate your time. And thank you very much for having me. I really do hope I shed some light on a very murky process. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.